Hello and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Charlie. Today I'm joined by a listener, um, a young guy from Atlanta, Georgia, who's currently traveling on a Watson Fellowship. So far he's been to Costa Rica, Argentina and Paraguay. And today we're going to chat a little bit about the latter, about Paraguay. I, lo I love chatting about new countries on this podcast. So yeah, when I heard he'd been to Paraguay, I was mad keen to speak to him. So yeah, welcome to Naturally Adventurous, Angus Pritchard. Hey, Charlie. Thank you so much. It's very fun to get to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for asking me. Ken and I, we love having interaction with our listeners. I guess we have a fairly adventurous listenership because um, people that contact us always seem to have a lot of stories as well. I guess when you tell stories, it sort of encourages other people to tell their stories too. But um, it certainly sounds like you've got some stories to tell. Well, I hope so. Yeah, it, it, I've definitely been <laughs> inspired on this trip to perhaps be, you know, go for some more um, adventurous <laughs> types of activities. You're a young guy. You only graduated last year, right? Yeah, so I graduated last May. Um, I can go ahead and explain about the fellowship if you like. Please do, yeah. It's a pretty poorly known program, uh, foundation, uh, because it's basically this group that has a partnership with smaller colleges in the United States. And what you do is you, you apply, you create, uh, students design their own sort of personal project based on their lifelong interests and, you know, something that will basically fill a year with, with international experiences and, and where they're learning about this thing that they, the experiences that they wouldn't otherwise get to have necessarily. And it can be anything. Yeah, it can be anything. Like, uh, I've, I've looked at some of the other projects and, you know, people are learning about like female poets in former British colonies and, you know, the way that wow. water around <laughs> like uh, affects international policy around the world. And, you know, there, there's just a whole, whole range of, of different things that people do. I obviously chose birds. Yeah. I've been a birder since basically since I can remember anything. Um, I sort of, you know, started out learning all of the, all of the backyard birds and then, you know, in, in Atlanta and I pretty quickly got very, very hooked on it. Uh, on the sort of competitive side of it through the, the Georgia Youth Birding Competition, um, which is right. a, it's put on by the, the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. And it's, it's you know, a big day for, for kids. And that was just like, um, like the, all, of the, all of the lights went off um, in my, my little <laughs> seven-year-old head. And, uh, and I did that, did that for like, for, I think for as long as I possibly could have until I was 18. Um, so like 11 years of... Oh, of you did it like every year. year. It's an annual competition. Yeah, so it's every year and kind of like the peak the peak weekend for spring migration in, in Georgia. So like the end of April. And so nice. that, was, that was really great because, you know, just like refining the same sort of big day route um, over the years with a, with a team of, of a few other young birders and it, you know, it, it, it's great to have that community. I'm still in touch with, with a lot of them. Actually, yeah. the guy who put me in touch with, with you guys in the first place is, uh, is Patrick Maurice. All right. Yeah. He, I think he's, he qualifies as my oldest friend. I've known him since we first did the competition together. <laughs> he was eight and I was seven. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> and so we've, that, yeah, birding has been a big part of my life for, for a long time now. When did you start getting out of the U.S. and expanding your horizons? So both of my parents have always worked in NGOs and nonprofits. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad used to, well, he, yeah, he, he works now with a, with a group that settled, helps to settle refugees in, in Atlanta. And my mom works for, uh, she's, now she works for the Task Force for Global Health, um, which is a, they work closely with the CDC. And so... But the, my first kind of international experience was after the earthquake in Haiti. My mom, because of the work she, that she'd done for her, for her master's, knew how to speak Haitian Creole. And so we actually went down um, and spent a summer there while she worked for the, the International Organization for Migration. That, and that was, you know, my first sort of international birding experience. You know, in, in, it wasn't How old lot. were you then? I was, I was 10. And so, 
It was, uh, I think, I think we got both. You're a pretty the, veteran murderer by that point, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had several, several years of, of experience. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, so it was really cool to hear the, the recent um, episode about the, about birding on, on Hispaniola, the, like the Dio. pollen managers yeah. and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, that was like my first experience. And then when I graduated from high school, and I, you know, found out that, you know, college, I'd, like I'd be able to, to, to make it all right um, through college. I uh, decided to go with my with my younger brother. I I washed dishes at a at a pizza restaurant for like the entirety of my senior year and sit, like sit, trying to save all that money. And um, my brother and I went down to to Ecuador for a month. Oh, nice. I missed one of my one of my AP exams, I think, after senior year of high school, uh, because uh, because I went to yeah we went down to, to Ecuador and um, more important things to do yeah, yeah exactly um, and that was that was like my first real like international like birding experience that was with my with my younger brother I was eighteen at the time and he was fifteen and I have no idea oh my why my parents. Uh, agreed for us to go, but but yeah, we went with a, a really incredible guide, Alex Luna. Oh he, yeah, no, he's he's one of us. Yeah, tropical birding. Yeah, we did like the whole sort of northern route with him, and then ended up in the in the Amazon. And I think uh, he actually ended up getting a bunch of lifers too, a handful in the in the Amazon, which was which was really fun. Uh, Alex is a great guy. I will always remain in my in my mind just how good he was at picking out all of those insane like high-pitched trills uh, in the in the cloud right. forest. It's, it just blew my mind. I remember seeing my first professional bird guide. I kind of, I was birding around South America and I kind of came across this bird guide and he blew my mind. His knowledge of calls and how to call birds in and like using playback. And I just thought, wow, I, I want to be like that. <laughs> I want to be that good. Yeah, no, I mean that's it's it's like the the folks that that you know that, that inspire you because um, they they just know every single bird which bush it's going to be in, you know when they play like yep. the tiniest bit of playback or it's like or magic, whatnot. it's like a yeah. superpower or something. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. And then you know over you have sixteen hundred species of birds to to factor into it as well, and they've got every single one of them you know <laughs> staked out pretty much. It's amazing. So that was before college, I guess. And you went on to study. Yeah, so I uh, like to focus uh, at my school in it was the, the University of the South in, in Tennessee, um, and I studied right. biology with a, a focus on ecology and biodiversity. Uh, so I did mostly plant oh, right. stuff. Pretty similar to what I did. Yeah, yeah I did mostly cool. like yeah, plant stuff, and um, and I got really into sort of uh, like GIS mapping for uh, for conservation. Oh, nice. And so that's that's kind of where I want to want to go after I, I get back. Um, I think it's getting ever ever so more tempting to to look at the world of international guiding um, as uh, you know yeah. a possible career path. But uh, we, we can chat about that later. <laughs> you couldn't just approach the Watson Fellowship and tell them that you wanted to go bird watching for a year. You had to sort of put together some sort of proposal, I guess. Yeah. So fifties. Students end up getting this every year out of all of the colleges that can nominate students. And so you go through a pretty intensive right. sort of interviews and essays process. And uh, the project that I put together originally, the other great thing about the foundation is that they're very, very flexible. Like they understand that you can't plan a year of travel ahead of time. For example, I plan to have my first three months of travel be in Peru and then all of the the recent sort of protest stuff. And I guess it's not that recent now, but back in, in January, it was not really a, an option to do a lot of traveling in Peru. Um, because yeah, the, the, the protests that were sort of cutting off all the, all the main routes, but, um, and so they, they, they understand that you can't plan the whole year ahead of time. And, but yeah, the project that I put together, sorry to get, to get back to it. (laughs) Um, was basically like globally iconic birds, you know, your, your cassowaries, your birds of paradise, your cocoa toucans, resplendent quetzals, 
marvelous spatula heels, all of the, you know, the birds that kind of stick in people's heads from documentaries and from, uh, from all of the media that you see about global birds, you know, are the, the, what is the, what does it look like, you know, conservation in the homes of all those birds, you know, in the valley in Peru where, you know, you see the marvelous spatula tails, you know, do the local people right. that live there, you know, how does, how does it affect their day-to-day -day life? Do they benefit from it? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's sort of the, the question that I'm, that the project is addressing is like, what is the intersection between birds, people, and like biodiversity conservation? You know, are they, where, cool. where are they a help? Where are they a hindrance? And you know, what, what is the, what is the potential for sort of like the, the international and like national birding community around the world? Um, you know, how, how are they interfacing with conservation? So that's like the, the lofty, <laughs> the, what, what I would, what I would love the, to be able to like really talk about, um, at the end of the, at the end of the year. Sure. What that's looked like so far has been, you know, just visiting a bunch of different places, um, meeting with guides, meeting with people who sort of run private reserves and, you know, visiting national parks and trying to kind of understand how that works in around, you know, different parts of, of Argentina and, and Paraguay so far. Awesome. So, yeah, um, I specifically wanted to chat about Paraguay because, um, yeah, we've never covered it on the podcast before and it's a fascinating country. You don't get too many chances to talk about it. It's not too many people go there. So, uh, and, and so why did you choose Paraguay? Yeah, the way that I kind of picked a lot of these places was, you know, where these quote-unquote globally iconic birds can be found and uh, and bear in mind that this was me you know before i necessarily knew exactly where uh the, the bird with the bird in paraguay was the toco toucan it's just you know, oh, okay like the like the uh -huh. fruit loops bird i ended up only seeing it a couple of times in in paraguay and mostly seeing it in um in argentina beforehand but right and then i also had a, a good friend um, from atlanta audubon or Georgia Audubon now, uh, where, and he had, he's been to Paraguay a few times and, um, he had some connections on the ground, um, that, uh, I was able to get in touch with. So it, it definitely made sense. And I'm, I'm very glad that I went. It's very similar to what I did, Angus, um, like 20 years ago, I did a, it was supposed to be a one year project, um, going in search of like, um, threatened species of birds. And also looking at people who involved in conservation and stuff like that and chatting with them and, and looking at the state of conservation in those countries. So very, very similar to something that I did. Um, so it's very, uh, it rings true. Very cool. Yeah, definitely want to chat a lot more about this uh, with you because it would be cool to exchange a few ideas and stuff later. But um, for starters, you, you ended up in a national park there, I guess, Mburakayu. It's a reserve run by the Moses Bertoni Foundation. I don't oh, think right. it's a, okay. a national park, yeah. but but it's got you know as as high of a level, yeah. yeah, pretty much as high of a level of protection mm. as um, as I think anywhere else in in Paraguay. Yeah, and so I got in touch with this friend from from Georgia. He knew uh, a bird guide, Paul Smith, who has worked for for a long uh -huh. long time in in Paraguay, all over the place. And Paul Smith put me in touch with um, with Miriam Velasquez from. Who's the, uh -huh. the sort of ornithology research head for the for the Moses Bertoni Foundation? She was kind of like, "Oh, you want to come volunteer and help out with our our research project for a month?" Absolutely, that's that's we can we can do that. Um, <laughs> yes, please. And so that was really fun. Um, I'm so grateful for the you know the, the connections that opened that door for me. The project that I was working on, um, they've put these these passive audio recorders out in the forest. Um, that record, you know, one right. minute of audio every 10 minutes. And they do that for 24 hours a day for 10 days. Um, and they've, wow. it, you know, it, it adds up. There's something like 21,000 minutes of, of audio to, to analyze. Wow. Um, and there's a sort of, they're, they're using a, a sort of Merlin sound recognition pattern matching program to, to kind uh -huh. of accelerate it. Um, and so basically what I was doing is, was, was listening to 
through the recordings, you know, a minute of, of audio that might have no birds and it might have, you know, 10 different species all singing. Uh-huh. So I had to, I had to learn all of the, all of the Atlantic forest birds pretty quick. It's interesting. So pa- Paraguay is uh, it's a landlocked country, but it's a sort of kind of last extension of the, of the Atlantic forest birds that kind of come down. It's, um, it's quite unusual really that, uh, that they all get that far. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. The number of, I think there, yeah, there's more than 400 species at this, at this reserve, um, which is, you know, a lot of birds for just, you know, some inland part of a country in, in South America. There's not like the Amazon and it's not the Andes. It's, it's kind of, yeah, the, the Atlantic forest is, is really cool. Um, there it's, it's, you know, one of those, uh, one of those South American habitats or ecosystems that doesn't really get as much fame as, you know, the, the cloud forest in the Andes or the, or the Amazon or, or Patagonia. People do bird the Atlantic forest quite a bit in, uh, in Brazil. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of birding tours out there, but this is one of the reasons that not many birders go to Paraguay is because there's not much there that you can't see anywhere else. And, yeah. You know, yeah. and elsewhere it's got better infrastructure and stuff like that. So it's, uh, one thing about Paraguay is that it, it, it is pretty tricky to, in comparison to, to Argentina, it's pretty tricky to, to get around. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not quite as much of a, you know, maybe an overly developed bus system as, as, as Argentina has, yeah. uh, there might only be a, a couple of buses per day that, that go to any of the, the larger towns. Um, nobody really speaks English. And then a lot of people, Spanish is their, is their second language. You know, Guarani is their, is their first language. Though. Guarani, yeah. Um, and so I, I just learned a few words of Guarani. And then, of course, like all, <laughs> a lot of the bird names um, are right. This, so, yeah, really, really cool bird names in, in Guarani. Were you working together with like local people there? Yeah, so I was I was mostly in touch with uh, just the this sort of research staff at the reserve. Um, there's uh-huh. quite a Who lot. Paraguayan. Of, yeah, um, and yeah, and it's this um, kind of the the guy that's been working there for the longest. Um, both of the guys who work in research, you know, live just down the road from the reserve. That's you know uh, a really big part of the the foundation, the Moises Bertoni Foundation's sort of, uh, like, goal is to, to get local people involved, and they they really have a lot, you know, it's it's like all, almost all people from the immediate area around Baracayu, but, um, so I was mostly working in, in, like, pretty close contact with, uh, with this guy who had been working there for, like, I guess, like, 25 years now. Wait, he might have been there. When yeah, I, I mean, he probably was. He probably, um, you know, he might have been out, uh-huh. like changing some some like insect traps or something when you when you went past. But but yeah, he's been there since the, the mid '90s, and so um, he really knows the area well. Wow. It's like super cool. Sure. So as well as like listening to recordings, you were actually getting out. Oh birding yeah, then? no, I wasn't. I wasn't only birding through headphones. Um, it was yeah. I was staying. Right. <laughs> uh, I was staying at their field station, um, which was really cool. I had spent more than like a week or so at a field station before, um, and so it was. I, I spent a full month there, which was which was really fun. I think I, I think I slept there as well. They had that, like a dormitory there. Yeah, it's a it's a very cool sort of. They've got a, like a birding lodge, and then they also have a, a high school, like a like a girls' high school that um, that uh, for the last three years of of, you know the U.S. ages of, of high school um, girls from from all over Paraguay come and sort of learn about all of the you know the regular math and and literature and then they also get really cool like environmental education and it, it, like people come and talk to them about advocacy wow. and, and so the I mean yeah the, this foundation does a lot um, it's, it's it's a really cool organization um, but yeah I was I was staying at like the the bunkhouse for the for the science science interns um so tell me about some of the cool yeah I, I would get to go out on the on the you know on the trails and you know for the entrance road and and you know every morning while i had my coffee there were uh like bare-throated bellbirds singing from the calling i don't know if you could call it a song but uh, uh <laughs> boinking from the uh, from the nearby forest um and it's, it's an incredible noise yeah. i i think 
It might be the loudest bird call in the world. I think either that or white bell bird, one of those. Uh, but yeah, it, it's certainly up there. Yes. I, I think if one of these bell birds were to call next to your ear, you would probably go deaf, like seriously. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly loud. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure that they were much farther away than like I was estimating. That I'm, I'm sure they were like at least, <laughs> you know, a few kilometers away when they were making this noise. And they're not always easy to see either. I, I actually never saw one in Paraguay and it was only years later in Brazil that I finally got my lifer. But I, I remember actually I was in Umbaracayu and I heard one and I was trying to see it. I was walking towards it. I was standing underneath the tree, looking up into the tree, and I could not see this bird. I could hear it. And I never. And then it went quiet. I never saw it. But um, just incredibly loud. That was the other thing about staying at the, the station is that, you know, I didn't necessarily have to go out and chase these birds. Like sometimes they would, you know, come in. Um, so I, I only saw one sure. female, you know, came in and had that sort of right. that awkward, desperate Katinga flight style. <laughs> And, right. and, uh, and I managed to snap a couple pictures. Um, and then I saw a male and female flying probably a kilometer, you know, in the, like over the, over the trees. Um, at a different point. but yeah, I never, never saw a male. Never got I mean, they're like snow white. I mean, they really stand out. You can see them from a mile away. Yeah. But. Yeah. But you have to like really know what, what tree they, they want to go in. And there has to be, you know, a trail that leads you to a point at which you can see that tree sure. <laughs> or, uh, or you know bushwhack the, the underneath it. you got another very cool bird the um the the saffron toucanet i believe eh? yeah that was another one that i you know i kept going out and like you know the, i got you know the intel from uh from this guy he's like okay you need to go to this place and you know maybe play the call a few times and um they usually come in and, you know i just kept going out and going out and then i heard you know i woke up to go to work and heard this this call that i hadn't i was like rigging a bell and um there were like you know five of them in the in the tree right outside my my door um wow. you know just really? <laughs> uh just kind of you know flying around eating eating fruit just goes to show you it's such a weird color you know there's there's a whole bunch of toucans and toucanets and they're usually kind of regular colors you know you can get the, the arasaris or the, the kind of green toucanets whatever but this is like a sort of mustard yellow color it's like a really weird color for a bird yeah yeah, no, it's a very, like, a pretty unique color scheme. Um, yeah, like, the sort of greenish mustard color. It's got a very dark burgundy red face. And then, like, the bill is, like, com- it just sort of contributes to the the weird color scheme. It's, you know, not like your typical toucan bill. It's, um, you know, kind of, like, it's got bluish and, like, ivory tones. And, yeah, a very, a very unique toucanette. So, um so I was very happy to see that. We bird. were chatting a while ago. We were sending some messages to each other, um, and you were saying that you were hoping to go and look for a bird that I've actually never seen still, yes. which is a very special night jar there. And then, and then a while later, I get this photo sent through my uh, through my WhatsApp, and I looked at it, and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> I felt so gripped. Beautiful photo of this. Uh, what is it? The white winged night jar. Yeah, yeah. So. That's the one of the you know the really the really rare birds of the the Cerrado region. Um, it's kind of like the slightly more. It's more you know of a it's sort of a savanna. It's in inland a little bit from the from the Atlantic Forest, kind of in between the Atlantic Forest and the Amazon. Um, it goes all the way up into Brazil. Even but, within the park, there's like different habitats because this is you know obviously not the. Atlantic forest type habitat, sort of more kind of like open. Yeah. So where I was staying was on the far Western side of the park, which was more of the, I, I guess it's the, the Paraná forest there, um, you know, closer to the, the mm. Paraná river, which kind of goes through, through Paraguay. Um, and then as you get farther East into Brazil and like, also like, cause this park is so immense to the eastern side of the park, it transitions to the, like the official sort of like the classic Atlantic forest ecosystem. I, I don't know enough to, to tell you the difference between the two. Um, but then there's also a section of the, like a whole section of the park. That's this, this big open sort of savanna habitat. It's just incredible. Totally different birds there as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got, you know, a certain number of, of species in the, the whole month 
that I stayed there. And then at the very end, finally, you know, after many, you know, missed, <laughs> missed chances when, you know, there wasn't a vehicle ready or, or, or whatnot, I got to go um, with Six Dub. It's, he's the guy who's been working there for so long to, to do the monthly, right. the monthly monitoring trip to, you know, see like, are the, how are the white wing night jars doing? Um, and so we drive yeah. all the way across. It's like a 20 kilometer road all the way across this, this reserve. It might even be longer than that. Not didn't have an Ebert track going or anything, but yeah, it was really cool to, to see the whole, the whole reserve. And then, yeah, we get to this sudden transition. It's not like it, you know, the trees start to kind of fade out. It's like, you know, there's, it, if, if you didn't know it, you would think you would have thought that it, it had been like cleared because all of a sudden you're just in, you know, a savanna, you know, from sort of jungly forest. And then there's, yeah, it's a combination of these palms and then a whole bunch of different species of, of native grass. But, it, you know, it, you, all of a sudden you feel like you're in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. It's very different. With, eh? Like yeah. acacias and, and palms and, and all sorts of really, really cool plants. And, it's kind of, it's a little bit more hilly than other savannas that I've been to before. It's pretty distinct sort of valleys and sort of the bottom of each valley is, is very, you know, open and, and grassy. And then there's this zone that this night jar uses that's got palms that are, you know, about as tall as a person, you know, between one and, and two meters tall. Right. And then the grass can't be too tall and it can't be too short. It likes termite mounds as well, I, I heard. Like, kind of sits on termite mounds. Yeah, yeah. The male has this, this very cool display. It's actually, it's one of the one of the few night jars, I think, that actually has, you know, it, it, it lecks it. That, you know, all the males will get in their really? own, own little spot and, and do displays for the, and the females kind of, you know, circle around. And yeah, it was really cool to hear about sort of the, the life history of this from from Sixto who is who's been working there for, for twenty five years and monitoring this night jar for, for like twenty years. Like he has to be the global expert, unpublished of course, but but like the he's he's probably the person that knows this bird, or at least the population at Mbarakayu better than than anyone else. It was very you knew cool. exactly where to find this bird, I guess. Yeah, you know, we kind of we get to the to the savannah and we're driving along like the dirt road and then there's like no sign, no indication. He just, you know, turns off the road and we start sort of driving through the savannah. <laughs> um, knows, you know, which palm to go around, like on one side or the other to like right. not get stuck. Um, then we pull up to this, this spot that it's, we, we stayed all, all of the way, you know, all the way there. We stayed in this sort of slightly taller, brushy habitat that, you know, the, the night jar doesn't use, of course. Right. Um, and then gets out of the car and, you know, we kind of start walking through the grass and then he, he stops at this little bare patch of dirt and he's like, this is, this it. is during the day or at night. Yeah. This is, this is just during the, the evening. So it was like a, a beautiful, um, right. You know, I, I really got, it was amazing got to get to actually like see the, the ecosystem, you know, the, the beautiful golden light, you know, streaming in. He had like warned me that we're, we're not yet in the, in the breeding season for this bird. And so it was, it was pretty likely that we might not have, have seen it. Uh, I looked at and I realized that there's, you know, little white spots on this sort of this bare patch of dirt that was once a termite mound, I think. Um, and I'm like, Oh gosh. And I, I, you know, I took a picture cause I realized that that might be the only <laughs> evidence that I ever got to see of, of a white right. night jar's existence with these little, um, little <laughs> bits of, of night jar poo. But yeah, then we, you know, walk around to a couple other, spots and you know he kind of explains to me like the way that the there's these very specific you know plant height requirements for the for this bird and then he's like okay we've got to start soon so we're gonna we're gonna go back to the truck and then we um you know we went back to the truck and waited until it it got dark and then he said okay let, let's let's go and kind of walked up to this mound and he's like there it is <laughs> and it was just like wow what a you know, it's it's a really it's a really neat little bird. We we got to see a female and only one, so I, I do feel very lucky that we got really? to see it. But it's a really neat, like a very very small nightjar. You know, I think it's probably smaller than a like a North American whippoorwill. 
But yeah, he's like, there it's it is. It's found in very few places. I think there's a couple of spots in Brazil and maybe Bolivia, and I think it's in Emas National Park in Brazil, but uh, really kind of mysterious and little known and, um, yeah, very, very unusual bird. Yeah, and each of those spots, you know, if you look at a range map, you know, they'll, they'll draw a little circle on the map and it'll be like a dot that you can see from, right. from space. But like this, you know, and there's a spot in Paraguay at Mbaracayu, but... The thing is, it's like, it's really, you know, just, you know, a few hectares of habitat that's the Mbarakayu range of this bird. And it's not found outside of that, that area. And so each, no. you know, it really kind of put it in perspective. It's like, this is a very, very specialist bird. It's only known from those few sites in Paraguay, uh, Brazil, and, and Bolivia. And each of those sites is probably like just very, very small. A range map doesn't really do it justice to how range limited the, the bird is. And I believe you saw another good bird in that area, the giant snipe. Yeah, there's, you know, we're like looking at the night jar and like, wow, oh my gosh, amazing. <laughs> um, you know, took a, a couple of pictures. There's some ash-throated crakes calling from the marshy area nearby. And then there's this, uh-huh. this sort of kind of like, sort of, it's almost like a sort of chortling, like laughing call. <laughs> um, right. That was that was kind of going on in the background. One of those things that you don't necessarily like immediately pick up on, and then and I kind of like what what's that? And he's like, oh, those are the giant snipes. I'm like, what? And there's, there's probably like five <laughs> five of these birds um, just kind of flying around doing their displays, and that was you know totally unexpected. Did not think that that was going to be one of the birds that we got, but it was. Yeah, it was very, very cool to, to you know, just have that as a as a little added bonus to the just to, you know after the sun yeah. had gone down, um, like any like any snipe sort of experience when you when you hear them flying around, you, you don't really see them, but it's just like another yeah another mysterious bird of the of the Sarada. That's another bird that I've never seen. This kind of adds insult to injury because um, <laughs> yeah, I, this is really uh, quite a. A painful thing because I, I spent so long birding in, in South America, years and years and years, and yeah, that's that's the two birds that I've never seen. You know what I did see in that section of the park though was a maned wolf. Um, I think I told this story on one of our sort of top mammal episodes, but um, I, I was just birding around there just on my own. I think I, I got dropped off, and um, and I'm looking at some birds, and, I, and I'm kind of just standing really still and i see this bird i think it was one of that that saltator is that the black-throated saltator mm-hmm. and then it kind of flies away and i turn around and then, and then in the middle of the road this maned wolf is just like looking at me and i was like wow. what, what's a dog doing here why what does someone let a dog in there and, I, and then it kind of turns around just plods off and i kind of see it's i see its mane and these long legs and i was like oh my god it's not a dog um so that was pretty cool I, yeah. I believe you had a, a pretty cool mammal sighting as well, eh? Yeah, um, we didn't get a main wolf. That would have been very cool. I, we, it was, I think it was almost steaming the pile of main wolf dung that uh, the Sixto pointed out. <laughs> um, so maybe you really? know a few minutes earlier, a few minutes later, we would have we would have seen one walk past. Uh, uh, that's a really cool mammal that I'd, I'd love to see. As we're going there through the middle of the reserve. And all of a sudden, you know, I don't, I don't even really, really see it. Sixto is just kind of like, Puma, Puma. And there's, you know, uh, <laughs> this sort of young Puma that was on the road and then, you know, starts just running off and I catch a glimpse of it. And then it goes around the corner of the road and, and he's like, did you get a picture? And I'm like, no, I, I, I didn't. And so then he's like, stick your head out the window. And so <laughs> I lean out the window and he just absolutely <laughs> floors it, like you know when guns it, <laughs> like absolutely, like we're flying down this road, and you know almost skid around the corner, and then and I'm just like hanging on for dear life, like don't drop the camera, and snap like a, a couple of pictures, and uh, got a picture of it like leaping into the bushes on the side, wow. and so the researchers there get to see lots and lots of of mammals on their on their camera traps all the time, but. It's always sure. pretty special. It was cool to see how excited uh, he was to see one, you know, in in daylight mm. and not just reviewing camera trap media. No, that was definitely a bit of luck there. 
for sure. So anyway, no, it sounds great. It kind of takes me back to my time there. But um, I was wanting to interview a while back and you were like, no, I, let, let, let's wait until I've gone to the Chaco. There was like one more place in Paraguay that you're going to go. And uh, I was like, okay, yeah, we'll wait for, wait for the Chaco and uh, see if you had any interesting experiences up there. So I, how, was, uh, how was your time in the Chaco? Tell us about the Chaco. Yeah, what, what's it like? Yeah, so it's basically, you, if you like take the, the country of Paraguay and draw a line down the middle of it then on the eastern half you sort of get like the and this is as far as i it's been explained to me you sort of get the the eastern half which is a little bit wetter that's where the the atlantic forest and the the Paraná forest historically was and then on the western half it just continually as you go farther west just gets a little bit higher in elevation and a little bit drier and that's the this sort of sort of massive thorny ecosystem that goes all the way from Bolivia through Paraguay and down into, there's a, a ton of it in Argentina as well, the, the Chaco. We chatted with Ken about the Chaco a little bit, but it's a, it's a really fascinating place. It's a, a very unique ecosystem because, you know, you get like thorny places in other parts of the world. The thorny places that I've been to in the in the U.S., there's, you can at least like walk through them usually, I think. Uh-huh. But the Chaco, like the, the actual forest that's, you know, that's remaining, it's just like so dense. I think you would have to basically crawl to get anywhere <laughs> through it. It's just like, you know, 15 to 20 foot high trees. And then, you know, you have these giant like cactus trees. And every once in a while, there's like a, a much taller tree. But yeah, no, the birding there is is super unique. There's loads of, of Chaco endemics that you, you know, you only see in some combination of those those three countries in that, in that area. And it's also the, the tricky part about that part of Paraguay is there's even even less transportation yeah. than the, the eastern half because I think it's either 95 or 90, some, some insane percentage of people in Paraguay live in the eastern half of the country. There's basically, yeah. uh, by comparison, just nobody living in the... In it's the quite a wilderness, isn't it, in the, in the Chaco area? Yes. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's very sparsely populated. The one thing is with like respect to conservation there, you know, in trying to kind of you know wrap my head around the, the situation, it seems like in the past few years, there's been a lot of infrastructure development in that area. Like the road that I had to, you right. know, the road that I took to get there was, was a really good road. And that always spells a little bit of, of trouble for native habitat when there's, when there's yeah. really good roads somewhere. Better the road, the, the quicker the habitat gets destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. And so... And it's almost all privately owned. Like, I think that there's, there's only a few sort of national parks. And, you know, they're pretty big national parks because it's, you know, very sparsely populated area. But, but yeah, it may be an ecosystem that we really see a lot of deforestation and, and loss in the, in the next few years, unless, you know, there's some, yeah. some big time policy changes. Uh, the, the folks at Moises Bertoni are really trying to ramp up their, their conservation efforts. In the Chaco, coincidentally, I I hitchhiked with a, a sort of a, an agriculture engineer. He was like bragging about, oh my gosh, we're gonna have a million hectares of, of cropland in the Chaco, you know, by next year or something. And I was just like, that's great. I'm I'm so happy for you that you're getting you know more business. But inside, it was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is a like a you know a, an ecosystem that could really see a lot of of losses pretty soon. Just because yeah, it's it's already kind of been like diced up like there's pretty good roads that go all the way through most of it in paraguay and it's just a matter of, of folks you know getting the, the money together to to start farming that land it seems putting cattle on it or, or so by this point this this wasn't sort of volunteering anymore this is just kind of wanting to see the place and getting out there right i wanted to have my chance at, at seeing some of the chaco and so i i caught a bus to, to one of the last spots that that you can catch a bus to. Um, it's a, a town called, called Philadelphia, actually. Um, right. It's pretty funny. You know, it's just the, the same, same exact spelling as, uh, as the Philadelphia in the U S but you know, with it, with an F instead of a, a PH at the, the front. Right. And yes, I did. I did order a cheesesteak at one of the, one of the restaurants there. And no, it wasn't anything like a, an actual Philly cheesesteak. It was, <laughs> uh, yeah, just out of curiosity. I, I had to, I caught a bus there and then hitchhiked just a few miles north to this, this Estancia, this ranch called Estancia Iparoma. 
and you know uh-huh. thinking I'll, okay I'll stay there for a few days and then maybe hitchhike out to, to one of these national parks and and try and you know see what I can see in the you know because I, I was figuring oh I'll have to I'll have to get pretty far out of like the more developed areas to, to see any of these specialties and then you know the like the first morning that I that I go out and bird you know I get uh, I was expecting to get maybe, you know, 15, 20 species. I was expecting it to be very, very tricky birding, you know, trying to get these birds yeah. to, to show up out, out of the, out of this very dense scrub. But I ended up getting like something like 60 species, just, you know, walking around this little ranch that had, you know, some, some scrub habitat um, <laughs> that they left, left as a windbreak. It's surprisingly productive. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. And what I was kind of surprised by, was how comparatively easy the birding was. It struck me that all of the birds, you know, they weren't particularly skittish. Like they, it, it's, it wasn't like a grassland where, you know, you see a bird from a quarter of a mile away and you try and take a step towards it and it, you know, flushes and, and lands, you know, down to the grass. And you never see it again. It was, yeah. you know, walking along, you know, a little, a little path because you can't walk through the, the actual scrub. Um, you know, walking along a little path and the birds would kind of, you know, be just flying, you know, all over the place, kind of staying right at the edge. Yeah. And so I was, you know, I was able to get a, a lot of the, you know, like lark-like brush runner and, um, and crested hornero and, you know, just all of these really cool sort of Chaco specialties. I was not expecting them to be so, so readily seeable. I think you might have got another couple of birds on me in the Chaco. I think you, you mentioned that you'd seen a black-bodied woodpecker out there. Yeah, that was probably the moment when it kind of crystallized how well the birding was working for me for some reason at this <laughs> at this spot. I was I had, you know, come back in for my, my first morning. It was kind of sitting on the on the couch inside this this little lodge and I heard this woodpecker esque noise. I didn't really know what it was. And I go outside and there's, you know, the black bodied woodpecker, you know, in the like in the yard of this ranch, you know, like there's, you know, chickens underneath like pecking wow. at kitchen scraps and like one of the real target birds for the Chaco, just, you know, kind of staring at me from a branch, you know, a few feet away. I feel it's definitely, that's definitely a bird that I did not earn. Like everyone has been <laughs> like speaking about it in, in hushed tones. Like, oh, there's this spot that you can go to get black-bodied woodpecker. I, I got it, I got it there in, you know, 2010 or something. <laughs> I, but, I, you know, it just appeared like it, it, it came to me. Uh, which is, is always a, a huge treat. Yeah, very scarce bird that. I, I just never, I, you know, I, I traveled so much in South America and so many places and I just never came across that bird. And and the other yeah. one that you got on me as well is the, the seriema, the black-legged seriema. Yeah, that's one that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I won't say I have it on you yet. It's really? actually, <laughs> if I can explain the situation correctly, you'll you'll understand what I mean. I, right. I hear this this sort of sound it sounds like a like a little ant shrike, like kind of like a variable ant shrike, sort of like a like a sort of a short series of, of like whistles. And I think it's oh, it's I think oh, it's this bird. This bird must be in the in the bushes just a few feet away. And so I'm I'm sort of like whistling a little imitation of it, trying to maybe see if it, it'll move around and I get a look at it. And then I kind of walk around the bushes and I realize oh, this is not an ant shrike in the bushes just a few feet away. It's like, it's a bird, like, I don't know, like a kilometer away. That's, um, that I'm, I'm just hearing a very quiet, like dilution of the, of the sound. Um, and, right. and so, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it sounded this like much, much more like the black legged Sardiema than the, than the red legged. And I had the red legged right. a couple of different times, but that's one that I think, I think my, my inner ethical, birders it says i have to i have to leave it off my list until i, oh, I get yeah. a i get a better look at it that was i don't know if you listened to the episode that ken and i did on our, his sort of argentinian highlights but that was that was up there with uh with his highlights i think he had one like next to the road like up in a tree like calling like right next to him it was yeah like, yeah like a pretty epic said, encounter yeah just like you know another sort of like the bird randomly appears you know in your path instead of you trying to yeah. trying to go and get the bird but yeah so i'm leaving that one off my list for now it'll have to remain the prize for the for the next time i i managed to make it to the you chaco. said you were not feeling well when you were in the chaco what what happened yeah i must have 
I mean, it, honestly, it might have been the the cheesesteak uh, <laughs> that I that I ordered. But yeah, totally. I just had like you know all of a sudden some intestinal issues, serious stomach stomach bug, and ended up only staying at this ranch and you know going out on like a little walk and then you know coming back and not wanting to to take a chance on you know having to like be hitchhiking into the night somewhere. <laughs> um, and you know, I don't regret the decision at all. Like it was, right. it was Sounded great. Like it worked out pretty well. Kept seeing new birds every day and, you know, and got to, to meet a few people that were, were coming by. It's funny. I actually, so the guy, the guide, Paul Smith, that initially put me in touch with Moses Bertoni, he actually, yeah. he came by completely randomly and I'm, and I'm, I'm hearing, you know, this, this group and they're, they're speaking in English and, and I go over and say, are you Paul Smith? He says, yes. Are you Angus? <laughs> and so just a complete random like meeting in the, you know, in the Chaco. But. It's like sort of Livingston, I presume kind of moment, isn't it? The- yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, how many people with, with a British accent are going to be like leading a tour group through the, the Chaco in Paraguay? And, you know, how many people with, with it, uh, like a United States accent are going to be, you know, <laughs> traveling solo in the, in the Chaco during yeah. the time when they said they were going to He's be. made huge efforts to encourage, um, like, birding tourism in Paraguay. I mean, just enormous efforts. I think he, I mean, I think years ago he was putting together, like, a CD of uh, Paraguayan bird photos and sounds. And um, he was trying to do all sorts of, uh, like, birding routes and stuff, you know, planning birding tours and stuff. I, I think I've corresponded with, uh, with him as well. I did a similar thing like you did with uh, Moses Bertoni, but I, with uh, Guira Paraguay, which is a sort of bird life partner there. And I, I probably spent about a month with them going in various places and helping them on doing surveys in different places. And we, we went to the Chaco as well, but it was quite cool. And it's nice to see that there's really good NGOs doing really good conservation work. But it it is an uphill struggle in Paraguay. They've got a lot of... It's a bit of a sort of environmental basket case, you know. It's uh, they've got a lot of problems there, a huge amount of uh, environmental destruction. Yeah, it's you know if you look at the map from satellite view, you can kind of see the the, the national borders in that area, it, it, like in the in the Atlantic Forest area, where there's you know a national park somewhere, and then you go across the river, and it's just complete, like you know, bare earth agriculture. Yeah, yeah I got to see some I of know Boracayu is quite well protected, but I, I remember when I was there, they had these aerial photographs and one was like 30 years before and one was like recent. And the 30 years before, there was quite, still quite a lot of forest patches outside of the reserve. And then the the recent one, everything outside was cut. So they, they effectively sort of preserved that pretty well, the reserve itself, but outside it was just completely cleared. Yeah, no, there's, it's, really been pretty effectively decimated throughout much of the eastern part of Paraguay. Fortunately, yeah, Baracayu is like it's large enough that there's actually whole watersheds that are that are inside this yeah. inside this reserve, um, you know, completely protected from from like sedimentation and stuff, which is it's very cool. It was a it, yeah, a huge treat to be able to to stay there. Very grateful for that. But yeah, no, a very, very cool country. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very cool place and um, it's very under-visited. Yes. <laughs> I mean, regular tourists don't go there, birders don't go there. But I mean, it, it's this, it has a lot to offer, Yeah, I think. for sure. It's definitely, you know, a more... Uh, it, it's it's not got as much, of, yeah, the tourist infrastructure because it doesn't have like, you know, the Iguazu Falls. Kind of like a or, frontier place, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and so you really, you know, it's to to get around, you know, if you don't have... You know, a volunteering position at a like a local NGO, then you know you're really you're really figuring <laughs> it out for yourself. You know, like going to the bus station yeah. and, and oh, you know, I mean, you out. could you could contact Paul Smith, and he would definitely put a put a, a tour. Oh yeah, absolutely. Together, and there are a lot of very very cool birds there. And he has it seems like he has a real just an, uh, yeah, like you said, a, an amazing passion for like the birds of Paraguay. Um, so he'd be a, an absolutely great person to, to get in touch with if you interested in doing a tour down I there. think we'll put a couple of the uh, contacts for, for these, you know, for Moises Bertoni and for Guira Paraguay and for, for Paul Smith's stuff, um, just so, you know, if anyone is interested in kind of visiting or learning more about it, it might be uh, good to let them look into a little bit more. But where is it next for you then? You're in Argentina at the moment. Where are you heading next? Yeah, I'm back in, in Buenos Aires for a few days. Um, 
and then I'll be uh, for the second half of the year. I'm yeah, I'm about I started in January, so I'm about five months through of of one year of travel. I'm not allowed contractually to to re-enter the United States until really? next January, and so. I I have about yeah I got seven months of, of travel left to do and I've got on the itinerary um, sort of Indonesia, birding a little bit in, in Sulawesi and uh, West Papua where there's incredibly interesting conservation questions, yeah. and then uh, from there, you know, kind of uh, one of the the countries with the the strongest sort of Department of Conservation in, in, down in New Zealand. Um, I've got a, a couple of contacts there, right. that, uh, so I'll hopefully get to at least. Uh, at least talk to someone who has, has seen a kakapo or um, takahe. <laughs> that would be very cool. To, that like, some of the the globally iconic birds from yeah. out there, and and that'll be yeah, that'll be the next seven months of well, travel. Well, in seven months' time, I think we'll definitely have to get you back on and and see how the rest of your trip went because it sounds like a an interesting one. Well, I, I would love to, and it, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, great to chat about about Paraguay. Yeah. To, yeah, to hear some of your stories as well from back when you were there. Definitely a very cool place. As you know, we always sign out with a natural sound. I guess we covered a few birds on this one. The the Bennett um, bellbird is a pretty distinctive one. Yeah, that that would be that would be a good one. The, the snipe is really cool. Would that work? I think that everyone should go and listen to the, the snipe, snipe on their own well. time, but um, the giant snipe. But but yeah, right. the, the bellbird is definitely a really a very good Paraguay noise. There's a, a like a local a local folk song that is played on on harp actually. That I right. somebody played it for me on guitar, but it's like el pájaro campana, like the the bellbird song. That's what they call pájaro campana. And so it's a culturally important bird as well for Paraguayans and Southern Brazilians. Wow! But yeah, no, the bellbird would definitely be have to be the natural sound for this episode. Angus, thank you so much. It's been fascinating chatting about Paraguay. Thanks everybody for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll catch you all next time on Naturally Adventurous. <laughs>